0: So, Father God, we come before you and we recognize you as the author and the finisher of our faith. We recognize that everything has already been done through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, your son. That it's our job now to accurately reflect the glory of the image of your son and live in the truth and the grace that's been provided for us. So, Father, as we talk this morning about the places in our lives that we've got to clean out, would you speak deeply to us this morning? And would you begin to work in our hearts? And would you allow this not to be something that brings condemnation, but that brings healing through the power of your Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen. So every house has trash, right? We all know that. Who takes out the trash in your house? Anybody? Anybody? You both raised your hands. There's no way that it can be you both, right? Trash, you have trash. green trash. You have recycling. Oh, yeah. So you're those people, right? You have the multiple cans. How many of you are the multiple-can people? I just want to know. Thank you for being very 2000s, all right? I watch outside my house, and the trash can dumps all the trash in the one same container it's dumb so i put wherever i want to go i'm just going to be honest right I and mean, you, you know what i have and i'm like no way dude i'm calling you on this right and every once in a while i'll stick some cardboard and stuff into my green can just to be a punk right so that's just, just to be honest with you but at my house i am kind of the trash guy um, we're teaching our children, because that's what we had children for, to do our chores. Um, <laughs> we're teaching our children how to take out the trash, and Cindy has a great system. Now, and we've even got little Rowan, who's four years old, doing it now, which is great, where all around the trash is upstairs. She collects them all and brings them down and like lines them up in the hallway, and then the other girls collect those, and they put them in one bigger can, but it always gets so Daddy can then dump that can into the real can and make sure it gets done. Now, Cindy and I have a game in our house though where we play every once in a while. We do this with dishes and we do this with trash. We just kind of see how long it'll go before the <laughs> other one gets fed up with it, right? And she claims that she doesn't play this game. And you but you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, yeah she just says no you should take out the trash there's no question I'm not doing it right and so we I feel like I'm playing a game of chicken with the trash but it's not real I'm always gonna move that's all there is to it and the best part is Cindy does the thing where the trash gets so full and we have the cool can where you just walk by and it goes and it opens up because my house is electronical and I love it right and so it's like senses that I'm close and that I want to dispose of something and it opens up kindly for me I can't wait till it says hello Jeff, thank you. (laughs) That's, that's my goal one day, uh, Jetson style. But we have that, and every once in a while, it'll be so full that the lid just is like propped open, and then Cindy'll grab like a paper bag, like a little Trader Joe's bag or something, and she'll snap it down and leave it right there and just start to fill that up. Like, hey dude, it's coming, you know, and then she'll get plastic bags and hang them on the handles of the cabinets and start filling those up, right? And, and, and here's the deal. We know this. We live in America, so we're like the most trash creating society already to start off with, right? And there's some of those things that are small and no big deal. Like you think of like eggshells. One, don't ever put them down the drain. Bad thing. Okay. But two, eggshells. They can kind of squash down. Bad, bad, bad for your garbage disposal in your system. Right. So um, anyway, but you get those kind of things. They're easy to compact. You can think of those things that, you know, like saran wrap off the top of something you pulled out of the refrigerator. You can throw it in. Not a big deal. But then, I don't know if you're like me, I can't stand like those big juice containers and stuff like that. They're not really recyclable, some of them. And they don't have the little symbols, so I just get angry at them because you're being wasteful. And then I say, no, you're not green. It's okay. And then, and, but what I realize, though, is those things take up so much room in my trash can. So what I'm teaching my kids is you put those in another trash can so that this trash can can last longer. Because I don't like taking out the trash. Right? <laughs> so here we go. In our relationships... We have trash that has to be taken out in our relationships, both husband and wife, relational, at work, guy friends, girlfriends, whatever. In all of our relationships, we have trash that has to be taken out. And it's very important that we take it out. And sometimes the trash is no big deal. It's little small pieces, and, and it kind of makes its way to the bottom and smashes down, and it's like, ah, no big deal. But then there's those juice containers that just tick you off, right? And it's like, why is this in here taking up my trash space? And what we find is there are certain people in our lives that all they have is juice containers. They don't have little amounts of stuff that they deposit onto us. They, they just always are drop, dropping something huge in our life, and we just are like, angry. And here's here's one other thing that happens, is our spouses sometimes um, do things, small things, and and it may start out as something small, but because of where we're at, and the fact that we haven't taken out the trash lately, and the fact that we're not in good communication at times, you know, life is busy and things are going, what happens is they blow up to be something that they never were meant to be. And so this morning, we're going to talk about just taking out the trash, um, so it, it, if, I, if I can ask you to do something, I mean, this is going to seem weird, and Cindy can't do this because she's by herself. And, and, uh, but I'm going to ask you, if your spouse is near you, um, at some point this morning, I just want you to hold their hand. okay? And just hold their hand and think, honey, this is going to be really good. It may hurt for a minute, but it's going to be really <laughs> nice. okay? And we're going to just kind of talk through this and walk through what it looks like. Um, fights are good sometimes. Fights are Bad a lot of times. And so it, it's important that we understand how to and how not to fight. Um, our relationships hopefully are kind of spicy and exciting and alive and well, right? Nobody likes eating just plain ugh, all the time. And if your marriage is just playing Ugh, all the time, you probably are not going to get volatile. You'll probably not have any just disagreements because it's not all that exciting to start off with. But I believe that God has created us in ways that he wants us to have an exciting life, an exciting marriage. And when your life is exciting too, sometimes it gets exciting in the opposite <coughs> direction where somebody does something and it doesn't go well. And when I talk about fighting, you know, some of you are like, I don't fight. No, no, we don't fight. Um... You're lying. Like, either that or you're not very good friends or you're not really married, right? Because here's the deal we all do at some point. And it comes, now, if you're in a place and you're not married yet, because there's a few, but, and you find yourself fighting a lot, don't get married. Just don't. <laughs> Like, it's okay. Like, I tell people all the time, you know, uh, high school kids, they're like, you know, we just got to work through it. I'm like, no, you don't. Dump them. Be done. Get over. There's somebody else out there that you won't fight with. It'll be fine, right? And they're like, that's so terrible. Yeah, okay. Right? But here's the thing. If you fight with somebody all the time before you get married, not a good deal. So figure it out. And, And hopefully you came into marriage liking each other. And then you find points where you really trust somebody with who you are and what you are. And when you begin to trust somebody, you begin to pour into them. What you find is the more you trust them, the more you care about them, the more you love them, the more they have a chance to hurt you. That little things that somebody else that you really don't care about could say, these things hurt you when they say it. Very important to understand So in fighting and and in disagreeing, um, there's a researcher, his name's John Gottman, and he did uh, some studies on marriages, and he's been able to predict kind of through his study with about a 91% accuracy and success rate. He says um, he can predict when people or who will get a divorce. It's kind of crazy. And he does it based off of a few variables. He calls them the four horsemen. And he says that these things are present. uh, When these things are present, the fight is going to be very bad. And usually the marriage will end in divorce. And and I would continue to say what I said from the very beginning, that this also goes along into other relationships in our lives. And he says it begins with a harsh start up. Somebody's angry, and tempers are flaring, plates are flying, she's got her hands on the hips, he's getting angry and yelling a little bit louder. It just starts bad. And the first of the horsemen comes out, and it's the, the, the one of the four horsemen is criticism. Criticism. It's when you attack the person, not the problem. Right? You're having a heated discussion, and you make comments like, you always, you never as soon as your language gets to that and you're attacking the person and not the situation, you begin criticism. You begin taking a shot at somebody that goes way deeper than the situation necessitates. And you begin attacking the person, not the issue. Criticism is the first one. You're fighting with them as a foe rather than welcoming them as a friend. And it starts there. The second happens in the process when, when you hit contempt. So it's criticism. And then number two is contempt. Contempt is, is the fact where you're like just disgusted by them. You don't even pretend to hide it. You say things like you're so disgusting. You're immature. You're out of control. Those are contemptuous things. You're attacking their character you're attacking the person on a deeper level and showing your disdain. Again, not for the issue, but for the person. And that's scary. This in, in every way. You're trying to shave, shame them. Shave them. That'd be funny. Um, you're trying to shame them, belittle them, defeat them, control them. And it's hard. That's contempt. Number three is defensiveness. Horseman number three, defensiveness. And this is where the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. And maybe you're saying, hey, that, that's not a nice thing. You're, you're feeling kind of harsh. Um, you're being mean and, and you're feeling that. Um, and, and you start to defend yourself. You start to realize, hey, something's being done to me by somebody that I no longer trust anymore. And you start to defend yourself. Okay, I don't know if any of you go to the doctor. Um, I'm not a big fan all the time because I do things for the doctor that I would never do for anybody else. When they walk into a room and hand me a tiny little gown that opens only in the back, and they say, put this on, take off your clothes. I would not do that for anyone else in the world. And yet, for the doctor, right? And it goes even farther, and there's exams with rubber gloves and stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous. No one else. But I trust that the doctor is doing it for my own benefit and my own health right? In our marriages and in our lives, in our relationships, we tend to be like, I'm going to trust you until I don't anymore. And one of the four horsemen comes out in defensiveness where your spouse says, you know, I'm really concerned about with this area of your life. And immediately you have an answer. Well, this is why, if you want to know, I'll tell you why, you know, by the way, you've got a few other things, right? And we start defending, we start hearing the doctor tell us, Hey, here's what you need to take. This is the medicine that you need to have in order to take care of your problem, in order to take care of issue. Well, I can't, I don't want to take that. You know why? Because I don't, blah, 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 blah. And, and we've seen situations like that and it doesn't end well. Defensiveness stonewalling surely no one has ever seen this you uh get escalated it gets heated somebody gets hurt uh there's tears things aren't going well and then you just start to ignore each other um statistically who do you think stonewalls the most any ideas men 85 percent of the time men right Partly because the ladies are going, let's talk about this. And we're going, no, I'm done, right? I do this. I'm, I'm guilty of this. I'm like, forget about it. I'm not going to deal with this anymore. And I want to leave the room. And we find ourselves in situations where we just stonewall each other. Stonewalling is the fourth of the four things. Remember, it started with criticism, criticizing the person and not the issue, then contempt, then defensiveness, and then stonewalling. And at the end of it, what you find is death and destruction. With those four things, this guy can dictate and predict almost 91% of divorces. Crazy. Crazy. Now, there may be areas of your life where you find those things, but I want to tell you that there are places and things that God has given us to battle against those areas of our life. And if those are things that you notice in your life, in your relationship, hey, notice them and find a way for God to heal and release and for God to begin work in your relationship. Maybe that's just your personality. Maybe that's how you grew up seeing it done. Well, we don't have to do that anymore. And there's scripture that talks about that. So how to fight for the glory of God and the good of your relationship. Number one, we recognize sin. Number one, you have to recognize sin. Sin is a violation of the character of God. God is what? Loving gracious, truthful, just, merciful, and kind. And sin is what is contrary to those attributes of God. John, uh, 1 John says that sin is the transgression of the word, the law of God. We have to understand that sin sounds very harsh, but sin is harsh. First John 1 10 says, if we have not sinned, we have ma- we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, we are all sinners. And here's the funny thing in marriage. One sinner plus another sinner does not equal no sin. It just means we're going to have sin in our relationship, in the way that we deal with one another. Two sinners coming together are going to have to continually take care of that sin and take out the garbage. If I come into it with some and you come into it with some, we're always going to have to be taking out the gar- garbage. And and here's the thing. If you're sitting here and saying, well, I'm not the sinner in the relationship. He is or she is. The truth of it is both of us come to this place. According to first John. all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. In Scripture and our understanding and we can't just point the finger because as soon as you point the finger that person's going to be pointing the finger right back at you to prove and make sure that you understand that you're as dirty and wrong and filthy as they are what we need more than pointing fingers is the humility to take it in and recognize our place if we come humbly before the throne of God that's where things begin to change. When we recognize that we have the potential to damage our mate, that's when things begin to change. The psalmist says, against you only, God, have I sinned. And we have to recognize when we do something to harm that person out of the character of God, which is sin, out of the character of God. We are not only sinning against our spouse, but against God himself. And we have to call it what it is. Um, we, again, we're doing this out of Real Marriage, a book by Mark and Grace Driscoll, and he gives an accounting uh, in, uh, of an interview that they recently did, and I, I saw part of it, um, but he talks about uh, being on an interview on a, a media broadcast with um, some non-Christian sex therapists who had read their book. He was like, well, that was it was a really awkward thing anyway, because here we are from the Christian perspective and they weren't really. But they were like thanking us for the book and saying it was a good book and they appreciate it. He said, "Um, but there was one uh, thing that they didn't like about the book. And so he kind of thought, OK. And they said, well, you know, we kind of like the book, but but the word sin, that's really an inappropriate word. So Mark's response was no. It's really a God word that a word that God uses and God wants us to use when we damage one another. And their argument was sin denotes something really bad. Mark's response was, yeah, right. God died for it. He gave his son. His name is Jesus. So in the fact that Jesus died for it, it's a really big deal. it, It is a big deal that God had to send his son to die for our sins. Again, their response, we don't like the word because it can produce shame. And their response was, well, it could produce shame or it can can produce conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to forgiveness. Because Jesus Jesus went to the cross and he scorned our shame. And that's something that we need to understand. We should feel bad for our sin. It's not okay to do sin and feel okay about it. That's why we try to let people be aware of the sins that they're committing, both against God and one another. Because if you are someone who sins repeatedly and feels good about it, there's a word for that. You're called a sociopath, (laughs) right? I hurt people regularly, very often, and I feel great about it. That's wrong. That's not okay. And God says, I want you to see your sin for what it is, how damaging and destructive it is. I want you to be convicted. I want you to come under the power and the presence of my Holy Spirit and his His grace-finding power and strength that you will naturally seek as as a result of the Holy Spirit at work in your life. And the humility of that will bring you to the throne of grace where you find that God, Christ, died for all sin. So that you and I no longer have to feel the shame of it. It's a big deal. And the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. See, it's not condemnation. It's conviction that we feel in our hearts. Number two, repent of your sin. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. If you want to fight well and to the glory of God, you recognize your sin. Whether it's pointed out to you or realized of your own. And then you repent of your sin. Both to God and to your spouse. It is not enough to slam the door on your spouse. Walk into your room and pray that the Lord would forgive you. And walk out assuming that your spouse must have known that you were talking to God. You must find that place of repentance before the person you are fighting or arguing or dealing with or trying to take the trash out with. And that is the most humiliating position you could find yourself in. Because I love you. I care for you. I want you to think highly of me. And yet I'm going to humble myself before you. If you're struggling with that idea or your relationship today, I want to encourage you that the answer is Jesus. Everything is Jesus. He died on the cross so that you and I would not have the pain and the agony of the shame of the conviction of sin, but that we would find a place before the foot of the cross that we can let go of it because he died for it all already. And he says, take my gift, the gift of my grace, the gift of my mercy, and be renewed and regenerated. Repentance. What does it look like? Um... I would go so far as to say that all of a Christian's life is about repentance. The Protestant Reformation, which we all like as good Reformed people, was kicked off with basically a manifesto from a guy who nailed 95 points up on the door of the church. Martin Luther nailed this door on a place called Wittenberg, or if you want to call it Wittenberg. All right. And he went up there and he nailed those things up. And his manifesto began with the statement, all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. That was the very beginning of the way that the Reformation began. All of a Christian's life is repentance. And let me tell you what that looks like. You repent of sin to become a Christian. You repent of sin to grow as a Christian. You repent of sin to reveal Christ in others. And all of the Christian's life is one of repentance. The prophets kept saying things like, repent, repent, repent. You guys have read it in scripture. Repentance is three things. It's confession, contrition, and change. And confession looks like this. You take your mind and you connect it to your mouth And you say, what is going on in your heart? Confession. It is not enough to just feel it in your heart. Salvation, even, is not just a heart thing. The Bible says you must believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. So it's not enough for us to just, I just felt so sorry. The world feels so sorry. Everyone feels so sorry. But it's Christians who can confess sin and be covered by the grace of Jesus Christ and still love one another. Confession. The Bible says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by renewing your mind, by the renewing of your mind. And sometimes the renewing of our mind takes place with the expression of our lips. God wants to work through our confession. The Holy Spirit and part of his ministry is to convict us of sin and the things that we feel in our spirit and the things that we know in our heart and our head, those things have to be uh, put out there and have to be gotten out there. To everyone without wisdom, no. But in relationships such as a marriage relationship, they have to be there. Contrition, repentance proceeds from confession to contrition. And, and you may say, well, what's contrition? That sounds like something that I would eat for breakfast, right? No. Well, maybe. I don't know. But contrition is this. You can confess your sin. But have you ever listened to somebody, especially your kids, if you've got kids, where they say, I'm sorry, and they're not really? Right? We do this at our house. Tell your sister you're sorry. I'm sorry. Okay, let's go play. Did, would that re- was, that contra- was that a place where they really felt it? No. But there are other times, and I'll tell you, in my backyard the other day, um, and it was a dumb little thing. Like, it wasn't all that big a deal. My daughter and I were working on her pitching, right, for softball, and she hit her little sister. And and it wasn't even that bad, and Rowan was like, Aah! Well, Rayana started, like, pitching all funky crazy. And I said, what's going on? And she was like, Dad, I just feel so bad that I hit Rowan. I was like... Oh, my little contrite heart, right? But but here's the thing. Contrition is where it moves from your head and from your mouth to something that you feel in your emotions. It begins to work deep within. Last night, um, as we were talking, uh, just Cindy and I, even with one of our daughters, there's tears began to flow as we talked about the places that we've been working through some of our relationship and what it looks like to be a part of a family. And, and you know when emotion gets connected to confession, there is contrition. And that's why we take our kids and we put them eye to eye and we go, Now tell your sister you're sorry. And then we say, Now tell her why you're sorry. Tell her what that means. How did it make you feel when this happened? And how do you feel now? And I know that sounds very Dr. Phil. But that's really it. Tell me how that made you feel when I did this. And I want to tell you how I feel as a result of taking the, tam- the time and the opportunity to say I'm sorry. Contrition. And then change. Here's the one thing that gives us so much hope as Christian couples. We have the opportunity to change. Not by our own will, but by the power and the presence of God and his conviction of his Holy Spirit and the gift of Jesus Christ. Everyone in the world can feel bad about what they did. And can say, I'm sorry. But only Christians have the opportunity to really change. Hear that. Now you can change your actions. And you can change your reactions. But there is a specific uh, doctrine called the doctrine of regeneration. That we need to understand. That God is taking us and molding us and shaping us and literally creating within us something new. Regeneration, like when you break off the arm of a starfish in a couple of months, it'll be back. It's renewed, refreshed, as if it was never gone. God takes us back from that broken state and renews us and rebuilds us and says, I'm going to create you in my image and give you a new mind and a new heart and a new spirit so that when you feel bad and you confess it and then your emotions catch up and you deeply understand what's going on, then I can literally change you from the inside out. If you have a spouse who constantly apologizes for the same thing, That's an issue because Christ says you should not be falling in the same hole five, six, seven, eight times. This should not be a common thing. There's couples in the church who one of the spouses continues to have affairs or continues to be abusive. And it's five, six, seven times down the road. Well, I'm going to have grace on my spouse. No, no. There's a point. There's a limit. There's a place where that person is no longer following and falling under the grace of Jesus Christ and or seeking the power of the presence of God and his understandings for life. And we can tell when that person is doing that because of the change that's represented there. Those things get sticky and those things get kind of deep. But I will tell you that those are things that we have to understand. And so repentance is not getting caught and coming clean. Repentance is not, oh, I'm sorry you found that out. By the way, I've been looking online at a lot of stuff I shouldn't have. Repentance is not, oh, you saw that text message. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to do that. That's getting caught. That's being in trouble. Repentance is not blaming others for our sin. Or blaming our nature. You know, my personality type is uh, J-E-R-K. You know, it's, that's just how I am. Some of you got that. It's the E-S-T-F-J, whatever that person that, Okay. Alright, so... Um, but the idea is, uh, a lot of us will just blame. Well, that's just the way I am. That's the way God made me. Or if you hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have. Or if this wasn't going on at work, then I wouldn't have. Or I would be. We blame other people. Repentance is not worldly sorrow. It's seeking change. And here, I'd encourage you to read Ephesians four twenty-five through thirty-two. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, if you're ever counseling or somebody comes to you with a need for advice or help or or seeking wisdom, I guarantee you, if you turn to that section of scripture, you will find almost every answer to every issue along the way that's interpersonal and social. Here's what it looks like. God calls us to be honest about our sin. To be angry and not sin is a big deal. And then he calls us to not let the anger, the sun go down upon our anger in that section of scripture. He says, deal with it quickly and make sure that you get it out of the way. He then calls us to not give an opportunity to the devil. He says, don't let yourself get caught letting something marinate, letting something ferment in your life that will cause damage and destruction and will be a place where the enemy can destroy. He says, let no corrupt talk come out of your mouth. Don't begin ripping down the people that you love the most and that you care about because of the the damage that it's doing in your own heart. And this is uh, the place that that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. It comes up in that section of Scripture. And basically what he's saying is this. Do not miss the places where you're being spoken to and God is being pointed out And rightness is being pointed out. And holiness is being pointed out. And we choose to delay that or push that aside or blame it on something else. Allow God to work in your heart. Do not bypass that for the sake of your own benefit and your own lack of humility. But in all things, give God first place in everything. And allow our communication to be pure and right and true and good. And he talks about bitterness in that section of scripture, and what that looks like. And I just kind of want to end with this thought. I've said it a couple of times already in this series that um, marriage um, and falling in love and falling out of love um, is, is something that we constantly hear in our culture. And that we're not necessarily falling out of love in our culture anymore, we're falling out of repentance. It's a big, big deal. Forgiveness is a gift from God, from Jesus Christ himself. And we are the image of God. Forgiveness is not waiting on the other person to apologize. Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiveness is not even reconciliation. Because forgiveness takes one person. Reconciliation takes two. Hear me on this. When, when we're saying we have to find forgiveness, it doesn't mean that the other person has to be on that forgiveness train with you, necessarily. It takes one side to forgive. So if you're in a relationship in your marriage or outside of your marriage, in other areas of your life where there is brokenness, God calls us as Christians to be forgiving and find forgiveness in our hearts. That's our call. Repentance looks like the two of us then coming together in agreement. But the first part of that is find forgiveness in your own heart. And that will pave the road for hopefully repentance down the road. Do you understand that? Do you hear where I'm coming from? Because a lot of the time what we do is we hold on to it and we say, well, when they apologize, I'm ready to forgive. But God says, no, I want you to forgive. Let me handle the rest. Let me do it in my time and through my spirit and my way. Forgiveness is not necessarily reconciliation, but it is the letting go of the other person. And and here's the practical application for all this stuff this morning, hopefully. Um, How long has it been since you've taken out the trash in your marriage, in your life? You know, hopefully sat here holding hands this morning and there maybe was a little squeezing here and there and like, oh, yeah, we got to pay attention to that. Has God and his Holy Spirit caught anything in your heart that says, hey, you really maybe we, we need to have a talk about this a little bit later. What does that look like? I believe that all of these conversations up to this point have led us to places where we really need to do some homework and some home time. And to have some conversations. And if you're avoiding those things, now's the time to take out the trash. Because you got those orange juice containers. And you got those paper bags sitting outside your trash. And you got little plastic bags hanging on the cupboards all around your house. And you're looking at your house and it's starting to look like hoarders. And you watch that show and you say, oh, that's so gross. But emotionally, we do the same thing. And God calls us to clear it out. Now's the time to take out the trash. Are you finding yourself in a place of repentance? And are you finding yourself in a place of offering forgiveness? That would be my hope this morning. And my prayer for you. And my prayer for us all. Can you see why this would have been a hard week for me? Can you see where this would be something that you're walking through? And just going, ah. God has a big work that he wants to do in our lives. Let's pray together. So, God, we come before you this morning and we just ask in your name that you would uh, begin the process, continue the process, restore the process of allowing us to understand what it is you want from us. Would your Holy Spirit be at work in our marriages this week? Would you convict us to the point of repentance so that we can find reconciliation and hope? And at the end of these next couple weeks, I pray that you would have... Uh, us all in a place where we recognize that we've taken out the trash and we're doing really good through your spirit and your good name. We pray in Jesus name. Amen.